Well, this morning, if you would, I'm going to have you take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John chapter 12 and verses 1 through 8. John chapter 12 and verses 1 through 8 will be our text this morning. As I shared with you last Sunday, we are taking a break from our study in the book of Ephesians to concentrate on this Easter season. We've got Palm Sunday today. We've got our Easter concert tonight, this Friday. We have the Good Friday service at 6.30. And then next week, next Sunday, of course, is Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Really want to put an emphasis on that. And then the last Sunday in April, we'll come back to our study in Ephesians. In John chapter 12, we are coming to the very last week of Jesus' life. We are heading toward that momentous time when he will experience the most important event in the history of the universe. That is a strong statement, but I mean that. The most important event in the history of the universe is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, providing a complete and glorious salvation for those who believe. His birth is important. We celebrate that at Christmas. His life is important. But everything leads to his death. He was born to die. He lived that he might be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so we read in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was about to, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone, that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Well, our first point this morning is the week before the crucifixion. Six days before the Passover, a very special dinner was given in honor of Jesus. In verse 1, it simply says six days before the Passover. The Passover was coming when Jesus would share the bread and the cup with his disciples. And Passover would be forever changed. It would no longer represent Israel's freedom from their bondage to slavery in Egypt, it would now come to mean our freedom from our slavery 
in the bondage of our own sin. And so Passover will become the Lord's Supper. And six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Lazarus was alive. Jesus had performed this great miracle, and Lazarus, who was dead, is now living. He is at this dinner, and there is this great buzz, this great atmosphere all around Jerusalem. Everybody's talking about the fact that Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, is alive. He was dead, but Jesus raised him from the dead. In fact, if you go down to verses 9 and 10, it says, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he, raised, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests, this is how much it affected them, so the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So there is this great commotion over the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And what we need to understand this morning, because it's important to the whole text, the raising of Lazarus from the dead was just the beginning. It was just a foretelling of a much greater resurrection, a more important resurrection. The fact that Lazarus could be raised from the dead points to the one who would give life to all who believe in him, who would be raised from the dead. And in verse 2 it says, So they gave a dinner for him, for Jesus, there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. So they give this dinner for Jesus, this thank you dinner. We are so grateful for what you have done. Martha, his sister, is serving that was Martha's spiritual gift. She was a servant. She probably initiated the dinner. We think of the famous story of Martha and Mary back in Luke chapter 10, where they invited Jesus to their home. And it says that Martha was making all the preparations, serving. But Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him. And Martha says, Master, don't you see that my sister has left me to do all of the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And Jesus, in those famous words, says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better. But don't have a negative view of Martha. Martha was a servant. That's how she expressed herself. That's how she expresses her gratitude to Jesus. And she's there. And she's serving. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with Jesus at the table. And important to the story, when they reclined at table in the first century, they would lay on their side with their head toward the table kind of leaning like this with their feet back. That is important for this story. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with Jesus. He's alive. Now, I want you to imagine this morning. Try to get a little sense of this, that you have gone to the funeral service of a friend of yours. 
he or she has passed away. You went to the funeral. You went to the graveside. You saw them bury him. And then you go to a dinner a few days later and he's there. He's alive. And that's what they're experiencing here. Lazarus had died. And now he's alive. And they're having this dinner. Well, that brings us to the great contrast in this section. A contrast between Martha's sister Mary and Judas Iscariot. But it's important for us to know that Mary knew certain things. For to understand her actions, she knew certain things. She knew what Jesus had said to Martha before Lazarus was raised from the dead. When Jesus came to raise Lazarus, Martha was the one who went out to greet him. And in John 11, verses 25 and 26, we read that Jesus said to her, to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He asks Martha. This is a section I have preached on a number of times. A passage that I and many others have preached at funeral services. One of the greatest comforts ever given to a Christian family when their Christian loved one passes away. Jesus makes this incredible statement. One of the greatest statements I believe ever made in human history. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Mary knew that. She knew that Jesus had said that. Mary also knew that Jesus had foretold his own crucifixion, his own betrayal by the Jewish religious leaders and that he would be put to death and that he would rise again. He had said this a number of times. They didn't fully understand it, but he had told them. We don't find it so much in John's gospel, but we do in Mark and Matthew's gospels. For example, in Matthew 16, 21, we read from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. She knew that. She knew that. And so the Apostle John provides us with two extremely different reactions to Jesus' presence at this dinner. Verse 3, what a verse. It's the most important verse in this section. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, being where he's reclining at his feet. The house was filled, filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Mary takes a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. In verse 5, when we drop down there, Judas had said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This was expensive perfume. A denarii, we know from the New Testament, was one day's wage. He said this could have been sold for 300 denarii. 
300 days wages. That is expensive perfume. Now we don't know for sure, but some have estimated that if we were to put that in modern monetary value, even based on minimum wage, that that would be somewhere between twenty-five and $30,000. So you're talking about perfume. A bottle of perfume worth twenty-five to $30,000. And she takes it. And she pours it on his feet. And violating the protocol of the day, she lets down her hair for her master. And wipes his feet with her hair. Well, don't miss it. This is an extravagant, lavish expression of love on Mary's part. This is worship, folks. This is what it means to worship Jesus. It doesn't matter how much it cost. It doesn't matter what she sacrificed. I don't know how she had perfume that expensive. Maybe they were a wealthy family. Maybe they had saved up for this. Maybe it was an inheritance. But whatever it was, it didn't matter because she wanted to express her absolute love for Jesus. Don't miss it this morning. In Mary's heart and mind, he was worth it. He was worth it. He was worth every drop of that perfume and the house was filled with the smell the sweet smell of that perfume and don't miss this when we worship Jesus it begins to infect everyone around us it begins to be noticed by those around us beautiful act of worship Well, verses 4 through 6 give us just the opposite. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him said, Why? Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Oh, Judas. Judas was about to betray his master. Obviously, Judas had become disillusioned with Jesus. Jesus no longer meant to him what he once thought he did. He was losing his interest in Jesus. And I don't know all that was going on in the heart of Judas, but Judas was headed toward betrayal, and he was headed eventually toward suicide in less than a week. And Judas says, why? Why would you waste this kind of money? Okay, if you want to anoint his feet, choose something a little cheaper. That's expensive. We could have taken that money and given it to the poor. And then John adds something we didn't know. It wasn't because Judas cared about the poor. He was a thief. He had charge of the money bag and he used to help himself to it. Judas totally focused on himself, on money, not on the master. This great event is taking place right before his very eyes, and he misses it. Reminds us of Matthew 6.24. No one can serve two masters. 
Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot serve both God and money. But folks, here's something very important this morning. Mary exposed her love and affection for Jesus with a gift costing a year's wages. Well, in a few days, Judas would betray him for 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver equaling maybe, maybe $1,000. So she pours this perfume costing maybe twenty-five dollars to $30,000 on Jesus' feet. And he would betray the Son of God. God in human flesh, he would betray him for 30 pieces of silver, about $1,000. Our second point is leave her alone. Jesus responds directly to Judas with the phrase, leave her alone. Look at verse 7. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. This is important. Jesus simply says those words, leave her alone. I want to take them in a little different order. I want to end with, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. So let's go with this. He says three things to Judas. Let's take the second one first. Leave her alone, Judas, for the poor you always have with you. Judas, if you really cared about the poor, if you really cared about social justice, you got years to do that. The poor you'll always have with you. As long as we're on this earth, there will always be those who are poor and needy. I care about the poor. I hope you care about the poor. But what Jesus is saying is, Judas, leave her alone. Something incredible is about to happen. We are heading toward the most important event in the history of the universe. And you're missing it, Judas. If you want to help the poor, you've got years to help the poor. But leave Mary alone. The third statement is, he said, leave her alone. You do not always have me. Judas, don't you understand? You've been with me all this time. I am God in human flesh. I am the son of God. I'm about to leave to go to my father. I'm about to give my life as the lamb of God. Takes away the sins of the world. Mary gets it, you don't. Leave her alone. And then he says, leave her alone that she may keep it for the day of my burial. This is so important. Although in many commentaries, there's a real difference of opinion on exactly what this verse means. In the ESV, it says, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. It sounds like Jesus is saying she kept some of it so that she could use it for my burial. But I don't think that's what it's saying. In the New King James Version, it says, she has kept this for the day of my burial. In the New Living Translation, it says, she is preparing me for the day of my burial, which I think really gets to the heart of this. So when it says, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial, I don't think Jesus is referring to the perfume. I think she poured it all out. The house was filled with the fragrance. I think Jesus is saying to her, or saying to him, leave her alone, Judas. I want her to keep her love, her affection, her passion 
her worship for the day of my burial. She's going to see something far greater than her brother being raised from the dead. Folks, don't miss it. Mary gets this. Maybe even more than the disciples did. She was preparing him for his burial, which was about to happen. He was about to fulfill everything he had come to accomplish as the Messiah upon the earth. And Mary is anointing him, preparing him for the day of his burial. Judas, leave her alone. You know, in the community of the church, there will always be a Mary and there will always be a Judas. Maybe I should say there will always be Marys and there will always be Judases. Now, when I say there will always be Judases, I don't mean that you're going to betray Jesus, but I do mean this. Judas had lost interest. He'd gotten off track. And I think it's very possible for Christians to get so distracted with the things of this world that they really begin to lose focus of what's most important. Always Marys, always Judases. Two people deciding how often they're going to attend church. One wants to come to church as often as she can or he can. I want to come to church not because I'm obligated to, not because I have to, because I want to. I want to go with the saints of God and worship my Savior. I want to be there. I'm looking forward to worshiping with the redeemed of God. Another person, same church, is saying, well, I'll go if it works. I'll have to see whether it works in our schedule. Do we have something else going on Sunday? Will it work? Do we have something else planned? And I really think for some people, church attendance is kind of a 50-50 thing each week. Depends on what's going on. Two people deciding how much to give. Some want to give sacrificially, sitting down together. How much can we give sacrificially? Jesus is so worth it. He is so important. Another person, same church, same body of believers. Okay, how much... Can I give and still have a lot left over? Okay, exactly what am I supposed to give? Because I don't want to give any more than that. And boy, we could sure use that money for something else. Two people deciding how often they should read the Bible. One person longing to, to read Scripture, to be involved in small group Bible studies, to wanting to get as much out of it they can. For another person, same church, same body, they rarely ever pick up their Bible from one Sunday to another. Pastors frequently get questions regarding how much and how often. How often should I come to church? Pastor, you know, what's, what's expected of us? What, what's faithfulness? How much should I give? Is it a tithe? Is it less than a tithe? Is it more than a tithe? What does the Bible mean by voluntary, voluntary sacrificial giving? How often should I read the Bible and pray? What, what, what's the expectation? And I think pastors often make a mistake by getting too specific. I do. I think when they start saying, well, you need a half hour a day in the Bible and you need to pray so many for this often or 
this is how much you should give exactly. And again, don't misunderstand me. I do think the Bible gives us guidelines. But I think we're asking the wrong question. Rather than asking all those questions, I think it's better to ask yourself, how much is Jesus worth to you? How much is Jesus worth to you? How often should you come to church? I don't know. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm the senior pastor. I'd love to see you here as often as you can when you're not on vacation or sick. But I can't answer that question for you. How much should you give? If you start getting down to dollars and cents based on 10%, I think you're missing the point. How often should you read your Bible and pray? I can't answer that for you. How much is he worth to you? How much is Jesus worth to you? He was everything to Mary. $25,000, $30,000 bottle of perfume. Seriously, it didn't mean that much for her to give that because he was worth it. He is of infinite value. It's just so interesting. Two people can come to the same church service. Say hear the same sermon. And one of them is just broken. Tears running down their face. Filled with joy or crushed with conviction. Another person, same service, same sermon. And they're bored. They're looking at their watch. They're daydreaming. How can it be? Same church. Same time. How much is Jesus worth to you? We're actually going to close with the song all to us. And I want it to be part of the sermon. I want you to sing this with all your heart. And I want you to ask your question, yourself the question, how much is he worth to you? We'll sing he's all to us. But do we really mean it? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you would be all to us. I pray, oh Father, with all my heart, I pray, make us like Mary. Make us like Mary. Be of infinite value to us. In Jesus' name, amen.